Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our Gospel reading from Mark chapter 10 with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. It seems to me not all that long ago that a series called Game of Thrones was positively dominating all facets of pop culture. The medieval tale of assassinations, political intrigue, and military conquest captured the imagination of millions of Americans, and to this day, the series' iconic imagery is plastered on store shelves and in advertisements both physical and digital. To the extent that even people like me, who largely missed out on the fad, cannot help but at least be peripherally aware of its impact. And at the center of all of the books, the TV series, and the bottomless pool of merchandising, one image in particular stands front and center and is likely among the very first things that you thought of when I brought up this franchise. That is the Iron Throne. To those of you unfamiliar with the lingo, you might know it as that big spiky chair which looks like it's made of swords. The Iron Throne, as described to me by Wikipedia, so I apologize to you Game of Thrones fans out there in advance, is the absolute seat of power in Westeros. Forged by Aegon the Conqueror, whoever sat upon this throne would command the indisputable reign of all seven kingdoms, uniting them under their will and their domination. The symbol of the Iron Throne served as the catalyst to the series' narrative, and it was the source of all the scheming and feuding of its expansive cast of characters. I venture to say that the reason that the image of the Iron Throne has endured so broadly in the American psyche is that we are a people who love the fantasy of power and authority. We all like to imagine ourselves as the king or the queen of our respective kingdoms. The promise of such glory spins wild imaginings in even the most level-headed people. It drives our most self-centered impulses. After all, who wouldn't just love to have the unquestioned respect, admiration, and obedience of their peers. Who wouldn't want to sit in something like the Iron Throne, sit in the seat of glory? Well, these fantasies, and more like them, I imagine, were racing through the thoughts of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, as they walked with Jesus into Jerusalem in our gospel reading for today. Jerusalem, the great and mighty capital of God's chosen people, was currently sitting occupied by the Roman militia and its cruel and cunning local prefect, 
Pontius Pilate. I can only wonder then what fantasies were discussed by the brothers as they made their way into the royal city. Would this be the moment that Jesus would drop the facade of the humble rabbi and lead them in glorious conquest? Would he storm the Palatine Hills on a mighty steed? Would he best Pilate in battle and send his soldiers scuttering back to Rome? Would he take the throne and the crown? Would he usher in a new era of prosperity, the likes of which Israel had never before known? And what would he make of the twelve loyal disciples who followed him? Surely he would have them on seats of authority in his own cabinet, advisors, governors, lords and kings in their own right. (laughs) Well, likely aware of his disciples' daydreaming, Jesus took this time of quiet on the road before they reached the city to remind them in no uncertain terms why it was that they were going into Jerusalem. And taking the twelve again, Jesus began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, that is, the Romans, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now this message seems to have been lost, however, on James and John. Following this teaching, they immediately approach him and ask, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Clearly, the brothers thought that their loyalty to Jesus would be rewarded in some kind of earthly manner. They should have the special seats of glory. They should have authority among the twelve and special recognition among the peoples. Sure, the battle might be hard or Jesus would not be giving them this warning. But he was still, at the end of the day, promising victory, wasn't he? And after all, as they say, to the victor go the spoils. And so Jesus patiently explained to his erring disciples what the spoils of following him might look like. He says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? James and John answer naively, we are able. We're ready for the major leagues, coach. Put us in. Give us a seat at the table, and we'll be the kind of leaders who are going to do you proud. Fair rulers, wise and fair to all the peoples. But the Lord continued, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. If only the foolish brothers had been paying attention. For the cup that Christ would drink would be the gall which was offered him by his tormentors. The baptism with which he would be baptized 
would be a baptism of his very blood, shed for the sins of all people. For the seat of glory for the Christ is none other than Calvary's cross. And his name is magnified, not through mighty acts of conquest, but through his holy, innocent, bitter suffering and death. Three times he told his disciples this, and still they squabbled and bickered over who was the greatest among them. And so Jesus gave them yet more to ponder. He said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You know, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many, many false teachers out there who like to say that following Jesus is an easy street to wealth and prosperity and fame. Even we in the Lutheran Church, who are taught better, still have moments where we like to imagine ourselves as being superior to the, follower, to the other followers of Christ because our doctrine is purer, or our laity are better catechized, or our pastors are more educated. We, and that is all of us, Imagine seats of glory for ourselves, and the words of Jesus must then come right back around to knock us off our lofty perch. For we who worship him have been baptized into his baptism, which St. Paul describes as a baptism into death. And now we too will drink of the bitter cup, so long as we live in this world which rejects his grace and mercy. Following Jesus will be no easy street. For the sake of our neighbors, our Lord calls us to be servants and slaves, the very last and least amongst the brethren. And yet... All of this suffering, all of this toiling and tribulation, it's not in vain. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For just as Christ is glorified in suffering and service to us, so we are glorified in heaven for faithfully following the words of our Lord. For it is with him and him alone that we find our reward. As such, let us not consider ourselves better than those whom we are called to serve, but let us daily give of ourselves to encourage them. Let us make ourselves low so that they might be lifted up. Let us imitate our Lord and Savior who suffered and died for our sake, that they might see his mighty work reflected in our actions. For it was he, he who was greater than all, that was made the very least for our sake. He who rules over all creation came in humble service to those whom he created. 
He who was the very author of life itself came down to know death so that we might never die. As such, may we in humble obedience serve him in all that we say and do, that the name of our Lord, who died and rose again, might be glorified among all peoples. May we ever decrease in order that he increase, until that day when we are glorified in our bodies and that we might see him again face to face, seated upon his glorious throne. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.